Hey, what up, everybody? It's Myron Butler, and you're listening to True Tunes Podcast with my main man, John Thompson. I remember the first time I went to South by Southwest after having taken on a roster of gospel artists and writers alongside my other work at a major music publisher. Prior to that moment, whenever I would be talking with a music supervisor or director and they would ask me who I worked for or what kind of music I represented, no matter how I framed it or how carefully I tried to avoid labels or tags, nine times out of ten, once they sniffed out that the company I worked for was affiliated with Christian music or that the artists made Christian music, they reacted. It was usually positive, though a bit condescending. They'd say things like, cool, good for you, I like that stuff. They were often just a little aloof though. They still had a hard time taking the music completely seriously. But when I went there repping gospel music, it was a completely different story. Whether talking with supervisors or blinged out rappers, without exception, every time I told someone that I worked with gospel artists, the response was just about the same. I love gospel music. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and I had an interesting combination of duties during my time as the Director of Creative and Copyright Development at Capital CMG Publishing. One of the main things I oversaw was the pitching of our writer songs for placement in film, television, advertising, and games. This work sent me to places like South by Southwest, the Billboard Film and Television Music Conferences, and on many trips to Los Angeles and New York to meet with music supervisors, artists, songwriters, producers, and directors. A few years into my time at the company, though, I was asked to take all of the gospel artist writers and producer writers under my own wing. We developed a special gospel publishing roster, and I was given the task and honor of serving them as their day-to-day publishing representative at the company. And it was an unbelievable roster, from some of the biggest names in the industry, such as Kirk Franklin, Marvin Sapp, Fred Hammond, Hezekiah Walker, Israel Houghton, and Dietrich Haddon, and legacy artists like Walter Hawkins, Daryl Coley, John P. Key, and one of my all-time favorites, Andre Crouch, this was truly a dream team. I've been a fan of gospel music since I was a kid, and the opportunity to serve these artists and ministers was an absolute honor. Though you cried all through the night, tears will turn the joy in the morning light. What's to come is better than what's been. Just hold on till the end. The past is behind you. The future looks bright for you. In this episode of the True Tunes podcast, one of the writers on that roster, and one of my favorite gospel artists, the amazing, multi-talented Myron Butler, is going to walk us through his recent tribute to another of my favorites, and one of the most important and influential artists of all time, the late, great Andre Crouch. And in the process, he's going to help us understand what makes gospel music so special, so important, and so relevant to so many people. 
A little later, we'll crank up the jukebox and consider the amazing 1972 Amazing Grace album by Aretha Franklin. It's a long overdue gospel music meltdown on the True Tunes podcast, and it all gets grooving right after we take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Welcome back to the True Tunes podcast. As I mentioned before the break, Myron Butler was one of the gospel artists on my roster at Capitol. It was a thrill to work with him because he was always out there in the trenches working on something amazing. He was a songwriter, producer, and served at the local church in Dallas every week. Major, and I mean major artists, were blowing up his phone, constantly asking him to do vocal arrangements for their records or to work with their choirs. And all the while, he was taking care of his wife and kids in a really amazing way. And believe it or not, another one of my writers was the aforementioned Andre Crouch. I've been listening to Andre since I was a kid, and I have been inspired by the intentionality he had when it came to bringing people together across racial and even generational lines with his music. I also loved that his work was so good that it got him noticed by, and got him to work with, people like Michael Jackson and on projects like The Color Purple and The Lion King. Everyone knew Andre was a gospel artist, but his chops earned him a seat at the big kids' table. I got to be Andre's publisher for a few years before his death, definitely one of the honors of my professional life. Myron Butler released an entire album of Andre Crouch songs, I flipped out. Then I dug into it and saw a few familiar names collaborating on some tracks. People like Kirk Franklin, Dorinda Clark Cole, and Fred Hammond, as well as a slew of new-to-me names and up-and-coming artists. As I listened, I got more and more excited. I just knew that I needed to get Myron on the show not only to talk about his own story through gospel music, but to talk with us about Andre Crouch in particular and gospel music in general. Well, Myron Butler, thank you for joining the True Tunes podcast, man. It has been too long since we have been in the same place together, my friend. Too, too long, and it is so good. Even though I'm looking <laughs> at you through the computer, it's it's been too good, and, yeah. uh, but it's always good to hear your voice and always good to reconnect with you. Tell me uh, what what you're involved in. You're an artist. You're a vocal arranger. You're a worship leader at church. Mm-hmm. You're a uh, you you do a ton of stuff. So, kind of right now, what is Myron Butler doing? Like you, you're kind of doing everything. You got you know, a lot of hats on that. Yeah, you? yeah. You, you, well, well, you have to. I mean, I think. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I am currently uh, the director of music and fine arts at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, where uh, Dr. Tony Evans is the pastor. Uh, been there about three years. 
uh and always you know writing songs i'm always producing music uh for artists uh and you know a couple of years ago uh, i put out a book uh and so you're right i have been like wearing a lot of hats just because there's a lot in me that i want to get out and uh you know so in this season you know the other thing that, that i'm really being intentional about is pouring back into the next generation the next generation of artists right. and the next generation of songwriters and producers uh because i think you know you know for me it's all about legacy and legacy is passing down that information not just me you know taking advantage of everything that comes my way so you know just kind of like a you know 360 thing you know i i, I feel like i was mm -hmm. always a hybrid you know singer songwriter and you know uh 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 vocal arranger or producer that was always me just because you know that's what I grew up doing I grew up grew up doing choir workshops when I was you know in my late teens and early 20s uh uh you know started singing God knows how long ago and you know a musician playing the piano in church <laughs> so I was always all you know all of those things at the same time You got your first cut as a songwriter, if I'm not mistaken, when you were about 16, 17 years old. And yes. that was on, a, was it Dallas, Dallas Fort Worth Choir? And it was a young guy named Kirk Franklin who was the, yes. the choir leader at that, at the, on that project. <laughs> so how did that come together? Tell me about that. I mean, Man, that's a pretty big was, break for a kid. It was. Uh, and John, at that point, I was so hungry. I was living in Dallas. And I had heard about this community choir, uh, just, you know, local singers and musicians, DFW Mass Choir, whoever wanted to be a part could. And I was in high school, I think maybe a sophomore in high school. And John, I would because we would have rehearsals wow. one time in Fort uh, in Dallas and the other time we would have them have them in Fort Worth. I would literally after school, I would get on the Greyhound bus and ride to Fort Worth because Fort Worth is about, you know, 30 minutes from Dallas. Uh, and I would catch a ride, you know, because I was so hungry to be a part of just this musical like smorgasbord like you know there were all these different people from different backgrounds and different you know uh, 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 denominations uh, and we had something called New Music Monday and so that was a time set aside where members of the choir or members of the community that were songwriters could come and present their songs and uh, I got brave enough one <laughs> New Music Monday to come and present my song and you know it, and everybody liked it and uh, so I was like, Whew, OK, that worked. Uh, and I will never forget. I went to the back of the church, you know, because the choir rehearsal was, was continuing. And Kirk Franklin was one of the choir directors. And he came up to me when I sat down. He said, hey, what's your name? I said, Myron. He says, you got talent. I'm going to take you up under my wing. And it was literally just like that. I, you know, I wasn't seeking him out. It just we just kind of got connected and 
we've been connected ever since then like ever since i was maybe like a sophomore in high school and uh that was kind of my journey the song was lift him up and uh i often you know tease everybody saying i am trying to find the button where you can go on the internet and delete all of the youtube videos because I look totally different. I've got this. I've got this Gumby haircut. I've got on glasses, and I'm about this skinny. So when my yep, kids yep, see, yep, yep. saw it, they were like, "Dad, what's the matter with you?" <laughs> but uh, that was that was my first introduction into uh, into gospel music. feel for the kind of training practicing preparation that you did leading up to that that made it so that when that moment happened you were able to step into it and you had a song and you you had the skills so that a a kirk could take you under his wing and take you to the next level what kind of work had you already done at that point well none professionally uh up until that point it literally uh, like i like i said i started playing the piano at nine years old and start directing the choir uh around that same time it was like the sunshine band and sunday school but interestingly enough john that i started writing songs like melody and lyrics would come to me at that young and i didn't understand it i was you know nobody in my family comes from from a musical background so i'm like what do I do with this? And I just, you know, whatever came to my head, I would write it down. I would craft these songs. And so uh, I was born in Florida. My mother and I moved here to Dallas, Texas, and I went to a arts high school. And uh, so, you know, of course, you know, it was the (laughs) I'm going to date myself when I say this. It was the fame of Dallas, Texas. <laughs> I know there will be not that many people right, know sure, what sure, fame sure. is, uh, but but literally right. music all day. So we're talking about music theory. We were talking about choral singing. So that was where I kind of, with the intersection of formal training and just what you have, the ability you have to nurture and develop to be proficient in church. Uh, Cause I was, like I said, directing choirs and all those. So I had to, I had to have an understanding of, uh, of harmony. I had to have an uh, understanding of, you know, uh, just how to craft music uh, in church. And so, you know, my introduction to the formal side of that was when I got to the Arts Magnet High School here in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, my sophomore year, I'm in, you know, theory two, you know, learning about, you know, harmonic and melodic minor and and all, you know, all of these modes and all of this. I'm like, what is this stuff? Mm -hmm. Uh, But it informed me to be able to kind of tap into all of that creativity that was inside of me. What could we ever give to God? in response to all that he has given us. I give him my all. I give him my life. To me, you are an example of someone who took that opportunity and didn't let it go. Like you put that into service 
for other people, your career has been defined by serving other people. Even though you are your you are an artist, mm-hmm. both as a solo yeah. artist and with with your choir Levi, but then mm-hmm. Marvin Sapp, Kirk Franklin, <laughs> all these other yeah. artists are calling on yeah. you to come in and arrange vocals and produce projects. And and when you listen even to this latest project, the musical intricacy, the arrangements in the choir in the background, <laughs> the arrangements in the guitar parts, the arrangements in the keyboard parts are next level stuff and i can hear that music theory in there and there's it's no wonder that the the a-list people in gospel music continue to call on myron butler to make their work better it seems like you from the beginning were looking for ways to serve other people and then your work and your music was part of it but it, it was always kind of it seems like that was secondary to to just being useful in the in the general environment well i i think early on john i don't even think i really understood it uh i think i and and i don't even think i understood initially that who myron is the sum total of what myron has to bring to the table is all of these things that support and all of these things that build up other people it was just me saying okay I can, you know, teach the choir or I can help do this behind the scenes. And for me, later on in life, I realized, you know, it was kind of like one of those spiritual epiphanies that you have. I was I realized that I was gifted to serve like without a doubt. I am gifted to serve and not for me to be served or necessarily celebrated, but I was gifted to to help others and so for me that is the driving one of the biggest driving forces in why I do what I do Uh, and for me it wasn't necessarily anything that someone just kind of beat or drilled into me I, I, I don't know if I don't know what that discovery point was, uh, but I think it was always understanding that the gift that I had was bigger than me, a and the gift that I had mm. wasn't anything that I deserved. So wherever I had the ability to help uplift or, you know, you know, just kind of undergird someone else. That's what I wanted to be found doing. And so it was always kind of my driving force. And what I did individually as an artist or as a songwriter, as a producer, what I did individually, like you said, really was kind of it played second fiddle, you know, to wherever I can help someone else. And that's just been kind of my mantra for life. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it, it is literally if I could say it in one sentence, I am gifted to serve. Cheap Can I get a witness up in here? 
Well, you, you serve really well. And that gifting <laughs> has put you in some amazing spots. Like, that's not why you were doing it. Yeah. But, gosh, I mean, as a kid, you found yourself on, you know, in working with Kirk Franklin and then, you know, one of the biggest crossover gospel songs in history uh, happens. Absolutely. And, you know, we have this song called Stomp that, that kind of redefines contemporary gospel music what was it like to be caught up in that whole moment and what, you know how did how did you have a role in that what, how did you get involved with god's well, property and that whole thing well so john like literally god's property you know uh, i didn't start god's property but it was kind of birthed out of something that i created so when i was in high school so i started out you know in the dfw mass choir but back then what was really big uh, was the Gospel Music Workshop of America. And so, you know, right. as a songwriter, as a choir director, it was the pinnacle to have your songs recorded by the mass choir at GMWA. So I put together this choir of local friends and singers here for the sole purpose of recording my songs to submit to GMWA. Well, when we came wow. together, everything was so you know, cool we just started you know we decided to to uh stay together and uh so we did a little independent you know uh recording uh that i keep hidden on a hard drive where no one else can hear it uh but you know because it, it was humble beginnings so we started there and then that was in high school then i left and i went to atlanta to morehouse college and uh the chaperone of that choir uh but kind of went in some different directions and one of the chaperones kind of uh because I was the, the choir director and my friend uh, was the music director, Robert Seawright. And so his mom kind of gathered some of the uh, singers and that was the onset of God's property. And so some years passed and then oh, I come right. back to Dallas and, uh, you know, so then she's like, hey, you know, you're our director. And so we, we, I want you to come back. And at that point, we're just this youthful, energetic climb up the walls, you know, energy through the roof, younger, <laughs> you know, youth choir. And we're singing around Dallas right. and all we care about is just singing, 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 singing. And uh, Kirk heard of us uh, just, you know, of course, you know, you know, the community groups in the city. And he was like, hey, I want I want to do some music with you all. And that was the intersection. And, you know, it started out actually on his what you're looking for uh, video. If you look at the what you're mm -hmm. looking for video in the church, there's this big choir up there in the choir stand. And God's property was one of, you know, what uh, was a part of that. And then he decided to do an album on God's property. And, John, I tell you, at that at that moment, we had no understanding of what platinum meant and what, you know, you know, number one on Bill, we had no <laughs> idea. The only thing that mattered is we wanted to be able to sing our own songs when we went to the musicals and when we did musical performances. That was it. So we had no context. Yeah. And we get to the studio to record this record and MTV is there doing B-roll and oh, and we're like, what? Okay. <laughs> you know, we're just some kids having fun. <laughs> Little did we know that it would be one of the most impactful recordings in gospel music, period. And, uh, you know, I, right. I, I, I often say more times than not, you know, you know, when your motives are pure, it is the prime opportunity that God can use it to bless the world through you. Yeah, amen. That's man. and that song, wow! And it was it was amazing when that thing was out there because I heard it everywhere. I heard it 
bumping Everywhere. out of people's speakers <laughs> in the parking lot at the grocery store. I heard it in the mall. I heard it in it, it was they were, they were playing it in John. clubs. They were playing it in movies. They were playing it. it was it was ubiquitous. It was it was gospel music in that moment was in the culture everywhere yep. and it was everywhere it was not to me it was like oh happy day and how oh happy day mm-hmm. was not it wasn't like oh we could maybe think of this as gospel music it was gospel music mm-hmm. it was clearly gospel music it was about absolutely jesus it was about the spiritual and so it felt like that was what oh happy day was and then mm-hmm. that's what stomp was for another yeah. generation it was gospel yeah. music for everybody Right, 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 and and that's the thing. And and John, just to just to jump in, that there were some. I mean, it was gospel music, but because it was so, in the words, cutting edge and pushing the envelope. You know, we were persecuted by a lot of people in the church, and you know, because it was too this right. or too much this. Uh, but at its core, fundamentally, it's gospel music. And but I think that the right. the thing. And yes, you know, songs like Oh Happy Day and those big songs had, you know, transcended, you know, or crossed over. Uh, But like you said, Stomp was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. It was in some places that we didn't even want it to be. It was like, you know, people would tell us that, okay, they're playing this song in the clubs. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it was one of those things that God literally, God just used it. But at its core, it's gospel music. We're going to step away from our conversation with Myron Butler for just a couple minutes, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. A couple of years ago, I started creating a weekly playlist on Spotify called the True Tunes Gallery Stage Mixtape. And if you follow it, you'll find around 40 songs every week from great hits and underground classics of the past to brand new tracks you won't want to miss. I've highlighted over 5,000 songs over the last couple of years, 40 at a time. You can see the massive archive list if you want to find the mother load. The Gallery Stage Mixtape is just one more way True Tunes helps you listen to better music and listen to music better together. You can find it right on the homepage at truetunes.com. We recently blew past the 50,000 downloads mark, which is very exciting around here. Thank you for continuing to tell your friends about this show. If you have taken the time to write and post a review and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts, that means so much. If not, please do. Please keep posting links and inviting folks from your world into this conversation. Our best and pretty much only marketing is you. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor on this show, drop me a line at jjt at truetunes.com. Okay, back to our conversation with Myron Butler. That's a good segue into your most recent project, which is a, an entire album paying tribute to the yeah. songs and the work of yes. Andre Crouch, who's another artist yes. who managed to transcend all of those boundaries. Is it gospel music? Is it contemporary worship music? Is it for white audiences? Is it for black audiences? Andre just blew through all that. And 
as you tell your story, I remember sitting with Andre when he was telling me his story, and I, gosh, I wish I had recorded it. But he was, <laughs> he said he was about, you know, eight years old, and he just said God started giving him songs, and he sat and looked at a piano and figured out how it worked, and, you know, and that's how it started with him. It's, it's, it sounds like a lot like your story. Uh, and he just felt like he was given this, and he didn't see the, the lines between whether this was supposed to be just for the church or for the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, and his songs yeah. have, have just transcended that stuff. So, but here you bring in a handful of really well known artists. You got Kirk on here, you got yeah. Dorinda Clark Cole on yeah. here. You got, and then you bring some artists that I've never heard of that are amazing and i'm like only he would do that that's incredible when did this idea hit you and what how how did andre crouch and his music and his legacy impact your life what 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 was the spark of his legacy for you andre was one that helped me early on when i heard when i heard andre crouch as a young boy i had never heard gospel music like that ever in my life i was like who like what like how you know it because it literally john right. it, it it blew the roof off of what i knew gospel music could sound like and the things that it could speak right. to uh uh, uh you know I, I remember you know i'll be thinking of you and just all of these songs that were crafted in this incredible way it had this incredible uh, uh message and it was undeniably talking about Jesus Christ. And so for me, he always built in or instilled in me, you know, in, in like a secondhand way that just do what God has called you to do. Write the songs that God has called you to write. You know, don't try to classify it. Don't try to, you know, satisfy. Does it fit in this box? Does it fit in this box? Because Andre was was every box, <laughs> you know. And so, right. you know, for me, we were literally me and my friend Anthony Evans. We were in the studio. Uh, interestingly enough, helping Kirk out doing, you know, BGVs on a demo or something like that that he was doing. And so he and I were just talking and, you know, we started talking. I was telling Anthony how I grew up listening to straight ahead jazz music and that in jazz music, they always do these songbook records like Ella sings Cole Porter or Sarah Vaughn sings George Gershwin. And it's and it's a whole album of that songwriter's music. And I said, you know, there really isn't anything in gospel like this i mean i know we've done you know record labels have put compilations together but an artist you know reimagining the you know part of the catalog of a previous artist or songwriter and it started right there and i said let's do it i'll be thinking of you thinking of you though we're far apart you're in my heart And there you'll always stay Till we meet again someday I'll be thinking of you It literally took me about two years to put together <laughs> uh, Just because Oh gosh, I uh, think, yeah because you know with all of the guests the first thing that you have to kind of overcome is the scheduling how do you schedule all of that but the thing going back to to what you said I knew going into the doing this record that the star of the show are the songs the songs right. are the star not me not the guests but those songs and so for me 
it gave me perspective to know my position and posture uh not that you you know kind of capitulate and just kind of you know but i know i am here and the other thing that that was very important to me is i believe that legacy and the the musical legacy of the icons in gospel music need to be passed down and reimagined in every generation you know, I'm like, right. you know, what would it sound like if Jonathan McReynolds covered, you know, or did the James Cleveland songbook? Like, so because right. James, uh, Jonathan McReynolds has a whole audience that ha probably has never ever heard of James Cleveland. And so it's a way of making right. sure that the songs stay alive. Yeah, I know, you know, we've got YouTube and you can go Google anything, but I'm talking about keeping the music alive in every generation. So mm -hmm. that was literally to honor, of course, number one, the life, the legacy and the music of one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, but also to make sure that the music of Andre and Sandra, because I did Holy Spirit on there uh, that, that that Sandra wrote, uh, that that music yep. is passed down and remembered in every generation. And my my ulterior motive literally was that I provoke another artist to do the same thing on a different artist. Or now, the, and now the other thing that I knew is that you cannot cover the length and the breadth of Andre's discography and catalog in one record. It's, you just can't do it. So, you know, you've got to settle on, you know, a certain number of songs for one. So, so for me, it's about other artists reimagining his music and other art gospel artists reimagining other legends and icons that have come before us. So that was really my heart, the thrust and all of that. And, you know, like we said, we start, you know, Andre in the 80s was doing cutting edge stuff musically vocally so you oh, can't man. approach it haphazardly so you got to come correct or or stay at home we open our hearts lord to receive blessings you promised to those who believe it's your anointing that directs us When you did this, I, I was, I'm amazed at the breadth and the diversity of styles, the way that you approach track by track. It's not yeah. a cookie cutter thing. You don't go in this thing with a template and say, okay, we're going to make this. There's some that you have real fun nods to the seventies. There's the wah-wah guitar. Yeah. There's some really cool oh, yeah. old school soul stuff from the seventies. And then like you mentioned, Absolutely. Holy Spirit. I'm not familiar with Samote and that ambient. Mm -hmm. You use the choir and those backing vocals in a very different alternative yeah. way. Yeah. And I'm not familiar with him and I'm not and that style is just completely different than what I oh, would yeah. have imagined. So tell me about first tell let's talk about this song since that's where we're at. And then we'll kind of mm -hmm. maybe I'm gonna bring up a couple other songs and walk me through the the decisions you're making. But but since you brought it up, let's talk about Holy Spirit and and how you jumped into something like this that's so left to center for uh yeah so you know one thing that i always because in looking at how you know his twin uh sandra i was at a bmi luncheon uh one year when they honored andre and it was one thing that i heard her mention either in passing or maybe she said it on the mic and i she basically was saying that she realized 
early on in her life that her calling was to cover Andre, to cover in the sense of protect, to guard, uh, and that she knew that was her position, not to try to ascend to the same level of notoriety and popularity. She understood it from a spiritual sense and it just grabbed me. And so when we did this record, I was like, we, I've got to include a Sandra song from somewhere. And I remember, of course, Andre produced, you know, the, 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 the Sandra Crouch records. But I remember on that record, I believe it was either We're Waiting or I can't, or what was the other record that Holy Spirit. And when I heard the song, it was very simple. There weren't a lot of parts to it, but there was this ethereal kind of sound to even the chord choices for the singers and how the singers kind of you know at the end of the song it's, it's it's this kind of like angelic like kind of thing while the soloist is just kind of ad-libbing and it just it made me feel a certain way that was different than like mm -hmm. traditional gospel music right. and so when i said i want to do that one and so how i encountered Samote, he's this young like uber talented uh artist uh from the carolinas and i was on social media one day and he just reached out and he was like your music literally changed my life and john he's going through not the set me freeze or the strongers he's going through like the obscure songs that you really have got to listen to my entire album to know and he's singing these songs and so i'm like wow. he's not just gaslighting me he's saying it for real so i go and look him right. up and i was like this dude is incredible so for me it was how do i take his and and he has a unique approach to his singing style as well i said how do how do i take uh uh, uh his unique style with this ethereal kind of ambient kind of feel that holy spirit kind of makes me feel like and what does that sound like and so it was very not necessarily like a, a trap music but it got it has little little sprinklings of that and then you know with these kind of yeah. take six type bgv parts and you know it, it for me it was just about capturing all of those you know things in one song and using some moats you know vocal approach and perspective to kind of you know reimagine the song because that's really the thing that i wanted to do uh that i was careful to do is not to reimagine the songs so much that they're unrecognizable but that it makes you go hmm wow and that was so for me it was about pushing but not pushing too far uh, because I think, you know, once right. again, the songs are the star. This is one of them. tell you one day i'm driving here in nashville and there's a non-commercial music station that plays alternative music it's like kcrw and and uh la 
Um, but okay. It's not a Christian station at all. They play hipster alternative rock. I'm driving. It's the one my, my 17-year-old son prefers, and, and it's usually on in the car. One day I'm coming out from running errands somewhere, and I hear, I kid you not, your version of Andre's Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus playing on a rock <laughs> are you serious? in Nashville. I John, are you serious? You, I just about lost my mind, dude. I just about, <laughs> I blasted that thing. I had tears in my eyes. I hear you and my good friend, Fred Hammond, who at this yeah. point has so much funk in his voice, he doesn't even need consonants anymore. I was so filled with joy driving down 8th Avenue in Nashville, I could not believe it. And I'm telling you this, it reminded me of Stomp immediately because here's a gospel wow. song literally saying, can't nobody do me like Jesus, playing on a rock station in Nashville. <laughs> and it fit right in. It fit right wow. between mainstream alternative hip rock. It sounded so good dude yeah. this song is unbelievable so talk about slick production this song you nailed it tell me about like how you approach this thing so on that for us in the black church we've been singing can't nobody do me like jesus all of our lives every kind of way you right. ever could have heard it but so i was like because the the, the the one thing because at some point you gotta decide on what songs you want to do and what songs you know you you got to decide at some point and so for me one of the things that i was taking into consideration is i wanted some of the top level songs that weren't too far down you know because you know uh uh, uh you 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 go down deep in the vault and everybody's like oh i, I don't know that one so i said okay let, let's do can't nobody do me like jesus and I, I was listening to one of uh, Andre's records and I heard, it's gonna rain. And I said, wow. I said, what about if I took kind of like the funk pulse of it's gonna rain and put it with can't nobody do me like Jesus. That literally nice. was, that literally, and so I'm sitting there with the band and I'm like, this is this is the mashup the mashup this is this is two andre mashups but not everybody would get that listening to it it's like i you know because i salvo mixed it uh paul salvo uh mixed it he's like myron i've never what is this i've never heard and he's just going through the roof but it literally was me saying let me take this kind of funk thing that he's got on it's gonna rain and let me put that with can't nobody do me like jesus and that song feels to me like it should go out as a single to mainstream, like urban alternative <laughs> radio. Like it is just that good. Living this kind of life, it gets sweeter and sweeter day by day. Boy, living this kind of life, everything is new and the old has passed away. Oh, happy days are here again I've got new family and friends And I'm thankful Yes, I am Oh, ever since I met Jesus Christ I've been living this kind of life Yeah, oh, it's a good life Such a sweet life You know, I'm life 
this kind of life Such a sweet life You know I like Living this kind of Talking about another sort of left turn and another artist that I just wasn't familiar with, Peter Collins in your version of Living This oh, Kind of Life. This this yes. intro with this really cool guitar stuff. Another mm-hmm. person I'm not familiar with. So tell me about how this how this track comes together. So Peter Collins is like this vocal phenom uh, that is on I, I, I came across him on Instagram. And uh, he's out of, uh, I think, New Jersey. And uh, he come to, to Dallas. And I'm just like, this dude can do anything with his voice. I'm just like, wow. And so his thing is very, you know, guitar, singer, songwriter, you know, kind of thing. And it's kind of like this, not necessarily folk music, but this very guitar driven thing. But his vocal ability is like, kind of like Bobby McFerrin you know meets james mm-hmm. taylor kind of thing and so i was like <laughs> that's I, a good yeah <laughs> i wanted space for him to approach it like he would that is very left very what is this like i mean it's he's killing and so i wanted him the space and so that's why you have like that minute and 30 minute and 30 seconds of him just with his guitar and his vocal at the beginning and a lot of times that's all that's all his songs are but i knew i needed to couple it with something that's memorable living this kind of life and so we go from this little you know guitar singer songwriter type vibe to you know horns full on boom 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 and and because it for me i know i needed to bridge the gap between Accomplishing two things with the Dayanas, with the uh, 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 Peter Collins, uh, with Michael Lampkin, and those those voices and names that aren't as known is to pair them with a song that's memorable so that even though you don't know the person, you know the song. So there are all these things that I'm just kind of thinking strategically from a putting the record together standpoint that, you know, I'm hoping you know to accomplish so that once again, we can reimagine these songs and that voices in present day get a chance to resound reshape or reimagine these iconic andre kraut songs that to me is really what i wanted to accomplish uh with this record and with these songs it's kind of fun too it reminded me that andre brought the guitar into gospel music in a way that a lot of gospel artists had not done. Uh, mm-hmm. It seemed to me that gospel music prior to Andre was a piano-driven or organ-driven mm-hmm. genre. Yeah. And by bringing guitar in, even acoustic guitar, uh, yeah. and that's that's also an artifact uh, or a phenomenon of the Jesus music uh, era, and, mm-hmm. and that was probably one of the things that helped Andre cross into 
the contemporary Christian music world a little bit was the guitar presence created sort of a touch point for white audiences, folk music audiences, people that, that it gave them an entry point anyway, something a little bit familiar for them to latch onto. I, as yeah. a kid myself, I remember the Live in London record was the one that uh, oh, yeah. grabbed me, the live performances and all that guitar work and that it was more like elements of Isley Brothers and yeah. um, kind of Stone soul stuff. Sly Stone, a little bit of that, you know, and and, and um, so hearing the the way that he was bringing it, and I, I talked to him a little bit about that, and and there was an intentionality in the way he was using instruments uh, to broaden the appeal and to widen the palette of of who he could be bringing to the musical table, and I feel like you're doing that throughout these these songs. Ha! Ladies and gentlemen. I want to take you back real quick To that place When you first fell in love When your heart first said yes Come on Down at the altar On your knees Come on I remember You remember We remember Let's go I said, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord. When it was innocent. To the place when it was brand new. Where I first when it was just me and you. Take me back. Yes, uh, I, I want to go back. Take me back, dear Lord. Where I, where I first believed. When I first believed. Were there any moments yes. here, any of these songs that surprised you? Like that you thought we're gonna go one way, but as you got into it, it was like, oh man, some, something different happened, or uh, something just kind of startled you as an artist or as a, as a producer. I remember us with "Take Me Back." I remember "Take Me Back." "Take Me Back" initially was going to have Blanche McAllister Dykes. Uh, Blanche actually ends up leading "Oh, It Is Jesus." Uh, but I started right. with Blanche on Take Me Back and I was listening to it and it was cool and because you know we get this you know uh, what this Elton John kind of thing you know on, on Take Me Back that's you know, kind of the undertones that they're kind of you know refresh it re, re, revise it and I was like hmm what I see a lot today is I think for not for a long time but for some time we've been realizing that there is a changing of the guard and not a changing of the guard in the sense of doing away with what was or the old or whatever we want to call it but you know we see the advent of these new voices from the Jonathan McReynolds from the Anthony Browns to the you know Tasha Cobbs and all of these voices and so for me I said aha what about pairing <laughs> I don't want him to hear this and 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 hear me call him this but pairing or let me just say the elder statesman the seasoned the seasoned right the right, right. seasoned the yeah uh, right. the experience right. that is Kirk Franklin Right. with right. this new kid on the block Kalante Gavin and you know who has these 
old nuances and approaches even in his voice and so for me that was one thing it was kind of like this aha you know as i had approached the song one way initially and it was cool but it wasn't like one of those kodak moments just yet and so you know realizing that kind of circling back around and saying hey you know kurt come jump on do your thing we got Kalante and pairing those two you know for me once again there are always these subliminal messages even in the personnel you know that I choose and that I you know kind of pair up mm -hmm. that I'm kind of wanting that to send a message as well so that would be one of the things that you know I I had approached it one way and I was like let's try this and uh, I think what we yeah. came out with was was stellar super stellar Man, and I'll tell you what what gets me about that song too is that you've got Kirk with a certain amount of experience and weather in his voice. It it's it, it's kind of unbelievable for a young person to be singing a song that's saying take me back to something. So when you have a weathered experienced voice saying that and then you have a younger voice, the younger voice almost represents that <laughs> perspective that you're trying to get back to that's and then you got yeah. that choir sounding so amazing on that track yeah and that's the to me that's the host of witnesses that's the that's all of us mm. that's like the whole yeah. community yeah. of believers saying we all need this we all need to get away from the voices that are telling us about what divides us away from all the distractions away from all the noise away from all of the stuff yes. that right now is tearing us apart and back mm -hmm. to that moment when we we heard something that called us to love and it yes. just oh, so, oh, man, so, so <laughs> and, well and, done and, so well done i love that you say that because you're, you're right you know it speaks so you know pointedly to the times that we're in i think you know right now we are highlighting we're focusing we're magnifying what tears us apart or what our differences are and it's like god if you could get us back to as you said the point where it was about the love that draws us all together that it is the blood of jesus that is there for us all not black us not white us not you know brown us but us all and god if you could get us back to that place just kind of abandon all of these secondary you know feudal and you know things that are tearing us and or that have us at odds and that have us looking for points of contention and looking for offenses no let's look for the thing that binds us all together and so I, you're right just kirk's weathered voice Kalante's young voice and i love how you said it the host of witnesses is is is, is really something yeah. that i think you know on a, a very deeper level that it is my prayer that this music does that that the music some kind of way it penetrates you know the the the, the hardness it penetrates that 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 shell or that you know whatever that is that is cause us to become callous to each other and in some instances callous to god We're going to take a brief intermission to fire up the old True Tunes jukebox. We've got Aretha Franklin's earth-shattering 1972 game-changing gospel classic Amazing Grace all queued up and ready.
Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, was in a rough place leading up to 1972. Jennifer Hudson does a masterful job approximating the trauma and strain that Franklin just barely survived in the recently released and fantastic biopic, Respect. While Aretha had extricated herself from an abusive marriage and had achieved stratospheric success on the pop and R&B charts, substance abuse and anxiety nearly stopped the music for her. But in 1971, after hitting her own rock bottom, Aretha returned to the music that had formed her. She insisted, over the mild objections of her label, Atlantic Records, that her next album would be a live gospel album. And on January 13th and 14th, 1972, at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, under the musical direction of the legendary James Cleveland and with the backing of his Southern California Community Choir, she fulfilled that promise. Franklin knew that she needed to sing these songs, and frankly, with the Vietnam War still raging, the economy hitting the skids, and injustice festering in communities of color like an infected wound, the world needed these songs, sung in Aretha's uniquely passionate style in a bad way. Amazing Grace combines traditional gospel standards with recontextualized, or even reinterpreted, soul, pop, and even show tunes all recorded in an understated and yet jaw-dropping way. The opening track on the original vinyl release of Amazing Grace, Mary Don't You Weep, serves notice that the next hour and a half will somehow, maybe supernaturally, feature music that is simultaneously progressive and traditional. The subtle arrangement pulses with subdued energy and determination. Once it gets going, though, the voice at the center throws open the throttle and pulls everyone in. We're gonna review this, review the story of two sisters. Oh, Mary and Martha. They had a brother. The second track does something very Jesus music-y. Franklin hijacks Carole King's You've Got a Friend, which had been a number one hit the previous year for James Taylor and was a central song on King's Tapestry album, which continued to dominate in 1972. Franklin seamlessly stitches King's You've Got a Friend together with Thomas A. Dorsey's gospel classic Take My Hand, Precious Lord, reinterpreting King's friend as Jesus. And she doesn't just go from one song to the other the way most medleys would. No, she goes back and forth until it really sounds like one new song. This is a mashup if ever I've heard one, and it is fantastic. You know. 
Franklin does a similar bit of secular sacred sleight of hand, or really it's just recontextualization, with her inclusion of the Rodgers and Hammerstein hit You'll Never Walk Alone from the 1945 musical Carousel. In that story, the protagonist won't walk alone because the ghost of their loved one, I suppose you could say the memory, will always be with them. Aretha, however, makes it perfectly clear that this is all about the Holy Ghost. What you gotta do ah, is walk on. That sounds mighty, mighty good to me right now. Walk on. With just a little bit of a Her inclusion of Marvin Gaye's Holy Holy from the previous year's stunning What's Going On album was less of a stretch lyrically, though it did ground Franklin's resurgent spirituality in a street-level concern for social justice, for which she had been known since her early days working alongside her father's friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. small but mighty band brought the slightest hint of Muscle Shoals tone into the sanctuary, and the choir is never more than an inch away, often splitting the difference between how a choir normally functions and how background singers are used. The arrangements come deliciously close to blues and soul, like on God Will Take Care of You. You can almost picture Steve Cropper or the Swampers in the band.
Amazing Grace was the right album at the right time for Aretha and for millions of others. Jerry Wexler, president of Atlantic and Franklin's co-producer since he first took her to Muscle Shoals in 1967 and revitalized her career, had the idea to send a film crew along to document the recording. He was well aware of the Jesus craze gripping the nation and guessed that a visual document might help export the black church experience to audiences outside of that community. That film, shot by the celebrated director Sidney Pollock, turned out to be unusable because he forgot to use clapboards and could not sync the audio to the picture. It was finally finished with more modern technology and released in 2018. I highly recommend it. By all accounts, neither Wexler nor anyone else at Atlantic expected this truly live album to be much more than a niche record. It would, however, go on to become Franklin's best-selling album. Rolling Stone ranked it at number 154 on their 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. It won the Grammy in 1973 for the best soul gospel performance, and it remains the best-selling live gospel album of all time. Such is its stellar reputation that an expanded version has been released, containing the complete recordings of both night's services. Amazing Grace, Franklin dove straight into the roots of gospel while never losing track of the contemporary R&B style for which she had become so well known. In that way, she built a bridge, and I believe a critical one at that, for her pop and R&B fans, and later for kids like me. The album was accessible and relevant. It sounded like Aretha. It still felt like her. This assemblage of songs provided a veritable roadmap for the continuing evolution of contemporary gospel. Although Andre Crouch had already been making albums for a few years by the time Aretha's Amazing Grace came around, this album surely paved a path 
for Andre's crossover success. jukebox is starting to smoke. Let's get back to the conversation with Myron before a full-blown fire starts in here. I know that you've worked in a broad set of contexts when it comes to music as a worship pastor, uh, as a producer, working with artists, working as an arranger. Um, so you're working with young artists you're working as you know at church you're just leading people in worship so mm-hmm. um do you find that I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that andre was able to reach and impact the black church and segments of the white church in, in a way that we just haven't seen since andre and right. that bo- has bothered me profoundly and um I wonder why. I wonder what, why we haven't seen that. I wonder what systems, and I know we're not going to figure that out in a conversation here today, but um, one of the things I'm, I'm, as I'm, as I, whenever I get back to Andre's music, I start thinking about the ingredients, the, the tactics, the strategy, the style, whatever, the heart, what, what, it, what it was that he was doing that allowed him to, to transcend those barriers and um, as a pastor yourself as someone who's leading worship who's writing songs who's doing this do you have any observations for us about uh, that about what it is that we as consumers of music as users of music maybe is it that that um, do black gospel listeners use music in a different way than white worship church people use music is that part of the problem or like is there any wisdom in andre's songs that can help us crack this code at all i don't have the answer to, to, to cracking the code i know for the black gospel 
listener for the, the the black music listener a lot of times the music is identifying with a struggle the music is you know uh, uh, giving voice to a struggle and I think what I see a lot of now is uh, there are two different perspectives on what you know the music is to accomplish and, and and when i say that what i mean is you know when we think about a song like never would have made it you know that is giving voice to my struggle and i think what happens is when we talk about black and white or even just different cultures rather because Andre, like you said, had a unique way to kind of bridge the gap that even though our story and our journey wasn't the same, there was some sort of way that we could meet in the middle on this song, whether it was, you know, it won't be long, you know, or soon and very soon or mm. whatever these songs were, there was we could meet there. But I think now there is such a divide on our experience and our journey that it's like if you don't understand, you know, my struggle or where I come from, then I'm not going to let you speak to, you know, uh, that certain part of me. And it's like, even if you don't have my experience or my struggle there, you still may be able to help me, you know, even though you didn't come from my background or my upbringing. And I think on the other side of it, yes, there are some systems in place uh, that have kind of perpetuated the divide, maybe in a, you know, covert way. Uh, and I think that we've got to meet in the middle at a place of honesty and i don't and, and i think the honesty is yes not just i think honesty is both in admitting and having the conversation about what has happened and the and even if one person either you or me didn't do it ourselves we can we have to i uh, agree that these things happen that's one part of the conversation. Then the other part of the conversation is how can we move forward and what does moving forward look like? Moving forward might look like something different right. for you than it does for me. But I think it's about having that honest conversation. I think there was, I won't necessarily say innocence in the sense of, you know, no human, no man is perfect. But there was an innocence uh, uh, and, and a very potent directness in Andre's music. Yes, the music was intentional. Yes, intentional about using this, you know, uh, we can, as you said, using different instrumentation and, you you know, go, crossing over to the CCM. All of those things were strategic and intentional, but they're it, just the genesis of the song was not to let me see how I can attract more white listeners. The genesis of the song was how can I communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think a lot of times, yes, you know, dude, as artists, we're trying to be strategic. We're trying to come up with the marketing plan. We're trying to do all of these, you know, carnal things. But I think a lot of times if we would put back at the top of the list to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, everyone i always say andre crouch's songs taught me scripture i i had before i heard we are not ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ uh, uh to, to everyone that believe it to the jew first of the gentile to all of that it taught me scripture but that for me was what i what i gleaned from andre's music is that his ulterior motive 
His main agenda was to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone and anyone that would listen. Not the Baptist listener, not the Kojic listener, not the Presbyterian listener, but to every listener. And so I think, you know, the, 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 of course, th this part of the conversation is so wide and vast that you, there's no way we could even talk about, you know, the length and breadth of it, you know, more or less come up with a solution. But I think we, it starts with those honest conversations and our, and, and our honest intent for the music. It seemed like um, Andre was also coming at it early enough that there hadn't yet really, an industry hadn't yet fully gelled around yeah. the divide between <laughs> contemporary gospel, traditional gospel, contemporary Christian music. Radio wasn't playing any of it. So there, right. that wasn't, right. you know, there was no CCM radio. There was no, none of, most churches weren't using those songs yet. So now I hear artists like you uh like jonathan mcreynolds um mm -hmm. travis green there are artists doing a lot of what andre was doing but the white church and white christian radio are, is just not listening <laughs> they're not and yet i've also seen especially in the, the the decade or so that i was uh working in gospel music at capitol it was the black churches constantly taking worship songs from the white world and mm -hmm. adapting them and bringing mm -hmm. them into mm -hmm. you know we talked about that when when we did that camp um so i do think that it is uh there is work to be done on the absolutely in, in that conversation when it comes to like listening better the the theme of our show that has evolved is to listen to better music and listen to music better and it mm. seems that that listening to music better involves slowing down and thinking and listening carefully not just letting stuff wash over us and moving on to the next thing but actually listening and and it it occurs to me and i i, I want to say it occurs to me um it, it is it has been something i've been thinking about for a long time that during the civil rights struggle of the 50s and 60s mm -hmm. one ingredient that helped move the ball forward on that was when audiences of certain power and privilege started to be forced to become aware of suffering mm -hmm. and injustice that they were previously able to kind of tune out when the mm -hmm. messages and the truth of that injustice was pushed to them through music and through yeah. television and yes. that music a lot of that was rooted in gospel music it was spirituals Absolutely. it was uh it was music that started to come through a, a lot of it from a church tradition at least some of it very much gospel some of it gospel music that had kind of the the jesus part kind of pulled back a little bit but it was more leaning right. on social justice tradition but still it was it was rooted in that tradition and a record like this is a great entry point because you serve yeah. as sort of a guide with great songs at, and, and in great production 
can you um can you think of other what, what are some other artists albums things that you're listening to right now that you would suggest any of our listeners who are going okay i'm ready i want to start to listen to some more gospel who are some th- some artists or things that you're listening to that you would recommend that that people get into i am an old head uh so for me uh you know i'm i'm all things thomas whitfield so you know thomas whitfield you know was kind of at the beginning of that whole praise and worship thing as it relates to coming into the black uh uh, community uh but just you know from a musician standpoint thomas whitfield uh but i would also say uh some of the early like whinings whinings uh uh and of course your hawkins uh and 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 if it's someone that is just you know deciding or just starting to listen to gospel music you know i would i personally would start older and work newer uh because i think you know some mm. of the newer stuff you know we we've gotten really really creative we pushed a lot of uh, envelopes and you know things uh you know can go and left field really really quick so just to kind of you know establish the, fi- the fundamentals and the foundation for me that's winans that's thomas whitfield that's the hawkins uh of course andre crouch uh and and then work your way you know forward you know and i mean you could also include your you know your james cleveland's or your you know shirley caesar and albertina walker in in the caravans or your you know then we go up into chicago and you know it could kind of morph you know geographically you know because chicago gospel is different from detroit gospel it's different from you know west coast gospel uh so for me and by different you mean better right (laughs) well (laughs) i'm just kidding i just mean right right i just mean milton brunson Milton, Milton Brunson is, is when I was a kid. Yeah. that <laughs> is the epitome. I mean, from choirs, John. I promise you, right. like I would literally yeah. leave on my high school lunch break and go get the latest Milton Brunson and Thompson Community record when it came out. Like to me, yeah. choirs start there. Start with Milton Brunson, and then every everybody else is yeah. after that. Uh, yeah. So you know, but, yeah. but you have that. You know, in in Detroit, of course, you know you have Thomas Whitfield, you have Charles Nick, you have you know uh, 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 all of those out west you have you know west angeles kurt carr and you know keith mm-hmm. pringle and and all of those uh uh in your carolinas then you get into your john p keys and you know you can go look, look further back if you go up to new york you have institutional radio choir and uh all in if you come closer you got hezekiah walker and the others but i would start older and then work younger in order to listen better i think we have to slow down i think th- there is such a frenetic pace of music today that it's it's almost impossible for somebody like me to 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 catch up to all the music that's out you know because music is releasing like at such a pace that you can't keep up or it's difficult to keep up so you know i i would say slow down listen better i love how you say let the music wash over you people don't do that you know people listen to a song you know maybe and it's got to be a three minute song mm-hmm. slow down and you know be intentional about listening and appreciating the music i think then you know we have a more informed group of people who you know support listen to and appreciate gospel music
one thing about Andre that I always realized is that he had a knack. Not, I mean, of course, songwriting. We, we, that's the understatement. But he had a knack for finding these unique vocal timbres and tones and voices oh, yeah. that, in and of themselves, they were just like. I mean, you talk about Tata Vega. You talk about Danny Bell Hall. You talk about Crystal Myrtle. You talk about all of these unique voices and like the songs are iconic but the voices themselves and so for me that was my thrust as well so i mean when you talk about uh, like my tribute diana reddick is this incredible singer and, exactly. and of course social right. media makes you know <laughs> discovering people a, a little easier than you know 20 years ago uh you know she's an incredible soloist out of the bay area and i was like i gotta have her I got like and so she brings but again this. another person who we never have, have heard of before i never i see her absolutely name and i had to look it up and i was like i've never i never heard of her before and then absolutely. i hear her singing and i thought how in the world have we not heard this person before <laughs> and she just and then you and you put her on such a marquee song like that biggest song on the album and you yeah. you use a an unknown voice in that because the song is about to god be the glory I just yes, love that. Yes. I mean, that's when I when I told you yeah. I was I took a long walk yesterday and I listened through the album again from the top just just because I I'd been listening to it song by song and I was like I got to hear this again from the beginning and I just went for a walk in the park <laughs> and I put it on my headphones and that song came on again and it just gets me it it, it cuts right the arrangement is so different like you get to the yeah. chorus and it locks yeah. in I mean it's not different from the mm -hmm. original but the original the way he uh -huh. wrote that song. The, the verses are the chords are all over the place the melody yeah. is like it's like a gull that's flying over the waves kind of looking for somewhere to land <laughs> you're kind of like where is this going especially for a white guy who used to singing these really simple songs it's like it's hard to lead that song in church when you're not a gospel singer i'm just going to confess right you get to the uh. chorus and it's super super easy <laughs> like, it's yep, like just yep, tra yep. training wheels are back on the bike and we know exactly where we're going to god be the glory we can right. do that but you, but you put her voice in there and then you let it ascend and ascend and ascend and by the end it's just exploding and oh yeah man yeah and i yeah. love that i'm because going who is this who is this person what what well that's the thing andre's music took you on a journey the, the songs themselves oh, yeah. took you on a journey and so for me from a production standpoint it's got everything has got to undergird the same goal it's we start in right. this very introspective intimate kind of thing and then it grows into like you said this corporate thing where everybody can kind of come in and then diana is the lift and at first right. it's this solo kind of singular thing and then dun, 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 and it's all about bill and at and at that point now we're off to the races and at and at the end yeah. you you have to go to the mountaintop you have to go all yeah. the way right. and so for me it was that journey it was and her voice is such that she has so much nuance and color in her and power in her voice because a lot mm -hmm. of times what happens is you you start off a song like that by the time you get to the vamp you're out of gas and so you got to have somebody that's got like <laughs> gas in the tank to, to speak carnally uh and yeah. she is definitely and i think right, right, you're, right. you're absolutely right for me with a song that iconic it's not about 
a song that iconic doesn't need celebrity to for it to accomplish what it needs to accomplish because once again right the song is the star the song is the star and for me that's what i'm hoping that in a very uh, uh secondary way that songwriters of today understand let the song let the lyric let what you are trying to communicate be front and center and let that be the star i think a lot of times we do we find all this slick production and yes all that stuff has its place but if we talk about fundamental songwriting it has to be you're taking me on a journey and the journey has to be worthwhile
Thanks for taking yes, time sir. to talk with us about this, and f- thanks for putting so much heart and soul in this Andre project. It just uh, it just meant a lot to me. I know it means. And congrats on the Stellar Award, and uh, couldn't happen to a better person. And and uh, thank you for being so faithful for so long. Blessings to your family, and uh, just thank thanks you. for taking this time. And it's good to see your face again, and uh, hopefully it'll As be well. in person before too long. Right, <laughs> right, right. sooner um, than later. <laughs> Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for being here. I so appreciate Myron taking time with us today. I do hope you take some time to dive in not only to his My Tribute album of Andre Crouch songs, but his deep catalog with his group Levi. Myron is such a gift and talent. And as I pull out my soapbox here to wrap things up, I feel that Myron has already covered most of what I wanted to say. My heart here has been to either introduce you to some great gospel music or to remind you of it. And Andre Crouch and Aretha Franklin are about as accessible an entry point for gospel music as you can find. But here's the thing. There's more to listening well when it comes to gospel than merely appreciating the aesthetics. Myron was spot on when he said that many gospel music listeners are connecting with this music because it is the music of struggle, need, and hope. I think I connected with it at a young age because I was in a place of struggle and need, and boy did I need hope. I could relate to the pain and longing in gospel music much more than I could relate to the sunshine and implied affluence of a lot of the contemporary Christian music I heard from almost exclusively white artists. I didn't think much about that at the time, but I have been lately. And here's the thing, we are all needy. Some of us are just more in touch with our need. Some of us have enough material possessions, comfort, social capital, perceived security, and supposed freedom that we don't actually feel any real need anymore. Too often I have found my own contentment in those things, to the point that I don't even realize it. But what if no amount of affluence or power or influence will ever make me truly free? If that's the case, then maybe I need to be listening to more music that will connect me to my true, deep, and abiding needs. Maybe I need to listen for the struggle and engage with it. Maybe I need to become aware of the darkness and pain so that I can once again hunger for hope. The best gospel music helps me hunger for hope. It helps me empathize. It reminds me of my weakness and the strength that is available to me. I think that's why people outside of the evangelical bubble might smile and nod and maybe offer at best a mildly patronizing pat on the head to most CCM music, but when they hear gospel music, they react. That's partly because gospel is an actual genre and not just a sanitized version of some other type of music. But for most, I think it's because gospel music is the sound of hope. And who doesn't need some more hope these days? Okay. I'm climbing off my soapbox now. That's going to do it for this episode of the True Tunes Podcast. You can find a full list of all of the songs you heard on this episode and links to Myron's fantastic work on the show notes page for this episode at truetunes.com. 
do check out his My Tribute album as well as his other work with his group Levi and let yourself fall down the gospel music rabbit hole. I want to thank our new Patreon supporters for helping us make this show possible. Our patrons get early access to higher quality audio files of each episode that they can download. We also do some Zoom meetups and more and we'll soon have some Patreon-only swag available. If you'd like to support this show by joining our Patreon circle, you can find the link on the show notes page or just go to patreon.com slash true tunes and check it out thanks as always to my co-producer and engineer bruce a brown thanks to phil keggy and rex paul for our theme song and to all of the other artists who allow us to use their music to make this show sound so good it is harder than ever for us to stay connected there's so much noise out there that it can be impossible to lock in on the signals we really want to hear when it comes to the true tunes conversation there are a few things you can do that will really help us stay connected with you First, sign up on our email list. It really is important to know that we can communicate directly with you without having to pay a middleman, like Facebook, for you to see what we post. Second, make sure to watch for the confirmation email and confirm it. Then add us to your contacts so our messages don't get caught in your spam filters. Next, find us on Facebook at TrueTunesNow and like us there. Find us on Instagram at TrueTunesMusic and follow us there. And you can follow me on Twitter at John J. Thompson. Thanks. The contents of the podcast are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at JJT at TrueTunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT inviting you to listen for the tunes that are true and start singing along when you find them. Peace. Blood of the Lamb, I can stand, stand. I know that I.